So hello everyone and welcome to All Blaze No Glory, the podcast. Um, I've got another uh, Scottish rugby Twitter darling on uh, tonight in uh, the form of Craig Manson, aka at Scrum Champion. How are you doing, Craig? Good evening. Yeah, doing great, thanks. I'm quite uh, quite taken aback at being called a Twitter darling. <laughs> Scottish <laughs> Twitter darling, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Craig, thanks for coming on. Um, and I think it's it's quite it's quite good maybe to do some uh, to have two Scottish guys able to chat so uh, so happily after two rounds of the Six Nations. How are you feeling after the weekend? Um, elation. Um, feeling the worst word in the entire world. Feeling hope, hopeful, um, and I'm concerned because it, as we as we always say, it's the hope that kills you. <laughs> uh, we're really, really happy. I have to say, it's been a, it's been a fantastic uh, couple of weeks for Scottish rugby, and uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see if it continues. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully, we can take that on to France uh, that we've been playing. What do you think's been different in the mentality of the team this time round? Because ordinarily, it's the big win against England, and then we sort of peter out against whoever we play second, or or that sort of thing. Recently, anyway. Yeah, it's, it's it's well. I know that um, they've been they've been working with um, I've forgotten the guy's name, but they've been working with a sports psychologist, um, which is which is one of the, the you know it's the first time it's been mentioned. Um, we all know that you know high end athletes and also people who who, who play all different types of sports, etc. Um, use sports psychologists, but I've never really heard of Scotland, uh, the SRU using sports psychologists. So this is the first time they've been working with them. But I think also um, just the, I think we've, we're finally getting past this point of if we beat England, our job is done. Um, and I think they're actually starting to, re- you know, the players themselves are starting to realise that, that, that they've got the ability. So why not? Um, go for a championship, why not go for a Grand Slam um, whether it happens or not, that's a different story but it, I think they're very much, right, what's next um, to coin a, a West Wing phrase um, uh, what's next, you know uh, and I think that's always, you know, the job's not done until it's actually done Yeah, yeah, and I, I think there's a slight change of mentality from Tooney as well, um, maybe that he's a bit more, well he's picked players on form to start off with, which is Sort of unusual. He seems to have always went for reputation before, and then he's sort of um, he sort of stuck with a squad which normally he seems to just want to roll the dice a lot. So, do you think that's maybe contributed to the to the sort of consistency in the first two games? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think especially when the first the first um, team sheet came out um, two weeks ago, um, and we saw Chris. Um, uh, Chris Harris on the bench. You realize, and then you, you see um, Tuipulotu and, and Hugh Jones in at twelve and thirteen. Then you you go right, okay, hang on a minute. So gone are the days. You know, this is this is almost a Tooney, um when he got the job um, of Scotland of, of, of Scotland coach, rather than Tooney who has been weathered down with expectation and has started to count maybe even double thinking. You know, uh, you know. Uh, think, think. Actually, you know, I'm I'm doing something wrong here. I need to throw somebody new in, or I need to try something different. And he's actually realizing, you know what, um, I'm going to attack. And when we don't, when we, you know, try and score more tries than the team that we're playing against, because now our defense is actually very good, and the players that we normally 
um, lean on for defence. We don't need them because the players that maybe were a little bit more defensively poor have have turned the corner and are actually very, you know, were defending very well. So let's go out all all out attack, and then sweep up if we need to. And and that seems to be the difference in play for me. Um, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the things that that struck me about the Six Nations squad, and I think you, I've, I've touched on it Twitter, and certainly, and and, and I think you maybe even like the tweet is that there's quite a lot of depth in Scotland now. So I was sort of disappointed for like James Lang for not making the Scotland the Scotland squad with the likes of Sione and things ahead of him. Now I I, I would be a fool if I sat here and tried to dispute how good Sione's been for Scotland recently. Do you think it's quite refreshing to know, though, that if one of these these players that are playing so well went out, we we do have sort of players on form that can kind of come in and maybe do a job there. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think I think we have um, from second row onwards, we have players there that can come in and do a job. I think we're we're a little bit uh, well. I wouldn't say we're light on the front row because. There's a pun and a, a pun and a half for you already, but um, but uh, I think it's more the fact that we're international class front row at this moment in time is a little bit um, uh, not you know a little bit light on that side of things. You know, we, Murphy Walker was coming through, and we thought he's going to do well, and he's become injured. Um, obviously, Xander was injured up until up until you know in uh, the, the beginning of the uh, tournament, so we're worried about that. Um, we're at, at loose at, at loose head. It's slightly different um, because you know Suz isn't even getting a look in. Although I don't know if Suz is injured or not. That's the, that's the one question I, I haven't asked myself. But he's not really had a lot of game time because of his injury. Um, and then you've got Murray McCallum hovering around in the background, who just unfortunately hasn't had a lot of game time, but could could work either side. Um, uh, either side of the scrum, so so that you know, I've just talked myself out of being, you know, me me saying that we're actually we've not got very many people at, at, at front row, but that seems to be the only place that we are struggling with numbers. Whereas you know we have high quality all the way through all of the different um, uh, positions throughout the team. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's true. I think um, the the thing about the front row is it's not necessarily we don't have any players that can come in it's more that we don't have sort of any international mm. um seasoned players that can come in i appreciate everyone has to have a first cap at some point or they'll come season but behind schumann and and batty and and sutherland there's really not many loose heads unless you bring alan dell back in um that have, that have played a bit for scotland um I'm not sure which side actually. It's, it's. I wanted to talk to you about props anyway, so let's let's. let's get I'm not sure what side I think Scotland are weakest at, though, and I don't know if you have a take on that. I I, I think at the moment we're weakest at tight head, um, because we've, you know, looking at what we had on the table within the squad, um, we had Xander, we had WP Nell. And we had um, Javan Sebastian, and those are the three players that he selected. You know, so we've got those were you know, and, and Sebastian was 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 seen regularly. You know, um, when when the when we're down in England, he's, he's down at Twickenham. He's he's there 
so that if anybody goes down in the warm-up, he's there to come in and, and be the, the the 16th man. So I, I, I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a really, I think tight head is the one because I think loose head, we've got the ability. And, and you would always, in my opinion, uh, and it might, it's a very... Um, you know, uh, you know, you can dis- lots of people disagree with my opinion at times, but you can bring in someone like Marion Hallam on the. You know, I'd rather if I'm bringing somebody in who hasn't had a lot of game time, I'd rather put him in the, in the loose head than tight head, um, because I, th- I think tight head, mainly because I used to play there, um, is more the linchpin of the scrum. So, um, and you know, it's the it's the person who's who in when I'm coaching most of the play goes through the, the tight head. So within the scrum and set, set up. So, you know, you need someone strong. You need someone who's, who's again, seasoned um, at that position and can do a good job. Um, whereas with loose head, yes, you, you need all of that too. Um, but you could you can probably wean in a, a loose head a little bit easier than you can a tight head. Yeah. Now, that's a, it's a funny thing you should say that because um, I've always felt certainly watching Edinburgh over the years uh and they and now watching Scotland for you know for many a year but that Nell you could always tell when Nell was playing because the whole scrum looked better rather than just just kind of okay sometimes if you had if you had good guys on one side but so as a as a prop and as a as a a, a, a guy who's pretty into scrummaging from what I understand uh what is it that's so important about the tight head what is it they actually do that that kind of keeps the whole thing together. Well, for me, and and again, this is this is how I how I've been coached and and how um, uh, I coach, and, and also I was very lucky enough to to be involved in a couple of scrummage sessions, not myself, but watching coaching sessions with scrummages. Um, your tight head is you, you load your tight head up. With all the pressure, so you, you bind your you bind your uh, loose head in first as tight as you can. They're transferring a lot of weight through the hooker onto the tight head, because what you're trying to do is split the opposition's light uh, uh, loose head and and hooker apart. So what? Because the minute you can do something like that, the scrum moves. So you can drop the, uh, the 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 opposition tight head might lose his footing or might lose the pressure on him and he drops. So you get a scrum penalty that way. Um, you can you can split apart these two players, and the, and the tight head can drive into can change p- position slightly and drive into the hooker, into the into their chest etc. Which folds them underneath and they'll drop, um, or just being a an out and out. Um, uh, uh, bandit, you can just fold the, the the loose head underneath yourself and and make them drop. So it's all about putting pressure on, uh, even to the point of when you have the the set call. If you can get your opposition scrum to move, you know, centimeters backwards slightly, you're you're already getting on top of them. You're already getting that momentum to push them through and and to and to and to win the scrum. So. Um, it's almost become now the days of my my day, and also the days of when we didn't actually uh, hook the ball. You know, got, you know, look at Ross Ford made a career out of not hooking the ball. <laughs> um, those days were all about 
um, pushing through the scrum um, and 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 pushing over the other team. Whereas nowadays it tends to be more about getting getting a scrum penalty um, or providing a solid platform for the ball to move away and and, and start play again. Um, so uh, yeah, that. Not to get too geeky about it, but that tends to be the way. As long as the tight head tends to be the sort of the, 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 the um, how can I put it? The scalpel that's kind of go. I wouldn't say we're sharp in mind, but we tend to be sharp to try and pull apart the the opposition scrum. Fair enough. No, that's uh, that. that is, it's interesting because it, there's a lot of podcasts they talk about scrummage and who's good and who's bad. But I, I, I used to be the sacrifice prop um, when I would play. Uh, I was never really trained to play prop, but because I'm kind of fat, I would, would get put in there um, as so we could have more subs. Uh, would I would put a prop on an H next to my <laughs> just and just kind of go in and push and hope for the best. But um, I think I, mean, I think we I think we were all like that to be honest with you. We we're all uh, because of this, our, our body size. We we're all kind of said, "Well, you can be the prop," and that uh, that funnily enough, we were talking about that the other day. Uh, that has changed completely, um, especially now that we've got Scrum School coming out with the SRU, and and they're all looking for 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 um, props in front row, etc., and hookers, etc., because there is a death of them at the moment because kids are getting fitter who are coming through and they don't want it. Well, I know for a fact with my under 18s um, none of them want to play front row because they they're they're looked upon as the fat kids if they play at front row, and and trying to, you know, unfortunately because of the size I am, me trying to enthuse um, an eighteen year old saying actually you don't have to be big to be a front row, and then they look at me and so but you're a front row, and it just <laughs> it just kind of throws it all. But anyway, yeah, it, it, it's a. Uh, it's um, it, it really is. Uh, I went through the same thing, and you know, I was the fat kid, so I got the, I got put in the in the front row. But luckily enough, I was very, very, very lucky to be coached by um, by Dave Rollo, um, ex Scotland and uh, British and Irish Lions prop, uh, tight head prop, and uh, he uh, taught me a huge amount. Um, of uh, of those days, maybe it's it's changed quite a dramatic amount since uh, since he coached me. But uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, he's always um, been very good with me. Cool, cool. And then um, I don't know. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, I don't know if you did you watch the England Italy game on Sunday? Uh, a little bit of it. I didn't get it all, unfortunately. Um. Well. I had a few problems with the way the ref was refereeing the scrum in that game. And the one thing I found a little bit more of is the refs, I don't know if it's a directive or if, you, you know, if you've got any take on it, but do you think the refs have now got a directive? If a team's in their own half and they haven't a clue, they just give a penalty to the to the team in their own half. Um, because there was definitely two of them where Ellis Genge and uh, Marco Vidopola's bum was at 90 degrees to the rest of the England scrum. And somehow Italy got the penalty against them, um, and it seemed to be in England half. So I don't, I don't know if that's a, if that's a directive that you're aware of, or or it's maybe something you've noticed as well, or it's just me being paranoid. No, <laughs> um, well, funnily enough, um, between you and me and the gatepost, and I don't tell too many people about this. Um, the uh, um, there has been directives bef- before. Um, with referees that they they want to speed things up. So, and this was this was this was before the initi- the actual initiative came through into the prem, uh, into the Premiership, uh, English Premiership, etc., and also into the Six Nations. About you know, um, you have one or two scrum resets, and then all of a sudden it's a penalty, um, or it's a free kick. 
Um, but before that, a good three, four years ago, we knew that, um, uh, that for example, you weren't allowed more than four four resets if your if your game was being televised because they didn't want it to um, they didn't want it to look boring or be be slow. So um, the referees would get picked up on that. Um, so uh, in their referee meetings. So what would happen is you would you would then see just as you say there would you know there'd be a decision made whether it's right or wrong, and and uh, and that's the way it is. Um, also. Uh, what I tend to find is that if they're not really getting an idea of what's going on in the scrum, it tends to be the attacking team that tends to get it. If you know, so for example, if they if if they see um the 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 defensive team uh go to knee, for example, then one of the props their knees goes to ground and they get a reset, then automatically they're looking at him, they're not looking at anyone else. So if anything else goes wrong. And they and they're not hundred percent sure of what's going on in the scrum. They're going to go to him and say it's his fault, um, just because you tend to find that again, not a lot of people know what's know a hundred percent what to look for. The referees obviously are coached in what to look for, etc. But you know, you, there's you're only on one side, um, and no matter what anybody says, the touch judges are you know. I, um, as as with you, uh, you and I are both probably the same when we're at, uh, at the damn health. We're always having a good word at the touch judge because we always think there's either an offside or there's a or there's a, a, a squint feeding at the line out. So, you know, and they still don't. You know, we don't really understand why they're not they're not seeing that. So actually seeing how somebody's body position is changing, etc. In the scrum, the touch judges hardly see it. You know, um, so it really has to be a. I'm going to sound like. A, a, Roman Poit, but it's all about the feel, um, and it's getting the the the, uh, the good vibes from the the scrummage and seeing. You know, I was always taught. God, I'm going I'm, I'm going on about scrummage too much here, but um, I was always taught if a scrum goes to ground very very quickly, something's going on, because all of that mass doesn't go to ground that quickly if they're if they've got shoulders on shoulders and they're and they're scrummaging correctly. Someone's up to something. Um and and so that and and it usually it was it was either me, um or uh, yeah it was usually me um but it's a uh, you you have to you have to just watch, um, for me it's always about foot position. Watch the if you're watching a scrum, watch the foot position of the of the of the player. If you look at the loose head, they usually have the foot the the left foot quite far out of the out of the scrum. That's a mixture to. Of 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 helping them drive and put pressure onto the the opposite side of the of the scrum, but also it keeps the um, scrum half from it gives him another uh, barrier to cross to try and bother your scrum half. Um, and also, if you watch the foot position, and again we talk about Xander, and there's a lot of people go on about Xander Ferguson being a penalty machine, and he's always giving away free kicks or penalties, etc. If you watch his feet, he used to always overextend his feet. He'd always he'd always have straight legs um, in the scrum, um, and that he started to get away from that, so he stopped giving the penalties away on that. So the, the minute you put your straight legs out, um, any movement of shoulders, and you're hitting the floor because of the amount of pressure that these guys are now put, uh, uh, you know, on. Put under nowadays, so you have to just. That's what the so the yeah the the referees are looking at a hell of a lot, and just as you say, it looks like they're guessing, and and a lot of it is putting two and two together up, and sometimes coming up with five, 
but they usually can get it fairly bang on. Yeah, and I suppose the thing is, when we're watching it back at home and I'm seeing Genji's butt out in 90 degrees, I have the benefit of the spider cam replay that the referee doesn't get, so we've got to give them a little bit of slack because um, they've got a totally different viewpoint if it's up above and... That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. It makes me makes my heart sing a little bit when that comes on because I love just if you if you look at it and you look where the shoulders are and you look where the heads are, especially the the, the front the, the two front rows, um, you can tell quite a lot and it's really a fabulous view. I love that. I love it. Yeah. Um. There's there's one last thing on scrummaging. Um. Just. Uh, just, just as a sort of policy that I've developed over the years since he started playing, <laughs> and I now live under the, the the policy that if the referee penalises Nell, he's got it wrong. And um, I don't know if you would think that's sound sound judgment or maybe a little bit bias on my part. Um, I totally agree with you. Um, and that's it. I'm not listening to anybody else's opinion. That's the way it is. Um, <laughs> WP WP can do no wrong in my in my opinion whatsoever. I, I think I think if the if the referee's pun, uh, punishing WP, it's because he's done something. And I mean, and it's not um, he's made a mistake or he's he's been caught out. It's he's trying to he's trying something that's gone wrong and he's uh, and, and something and the referee's been right in front of him or something like that. Because WP is um I'm gonna say this. WP is is probably the best tight head prop in a scrummaging situation in the world at this moment in time. Um I uh, I I can't you know you've got the South Africans well other South Africans, because he's obviously Scottish at the moment. Um, the, the other South Africans who are technically will, uh, you know, will give, uh, not technically, but they'll give, they've got a lot of weight to them and they've got a lot of strength to them and that's how they scrummage. But WP has the technically technical abilities, one of the, the finest technical props uh, in the world today at this moment in time, in my opinion. Um, and I, I lied because there was one other uh, point I wanted to ask you about scrummaging. Um, obviously, nowadays we don't really see any pushover tries or or scrums that go that far. Um, certainly in the professional game, I've seen it, and you know, Foresters have done it when they were in the, the sort of league, the East Two League and things like that. But mm. do you think that it's now players playing for penalties, or is it is it that now we're looking at athletes and not necessarily they're not being taught how to scrummage properly? As much when they come into professional games, do you, do you do you see any reason why that scrums don't complete as much? I, honestly, I, I it's um I think I think you're 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 right with the scrummaging for penalties. I think there's a lot of that. Um, the scrummaging is being used as if you're out on the main main part of the field, um, at, at, you know at, at the at the halfway or in at a ten meter. Um, line, you know, you're you're scrummaging to 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 restart, and you want the ball produced at the back of the scrum, and the ball's away. Um, it's a way of drawing all the forwards into the pack and getting them out of the way, so you can attack the 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 backs can attack other backs. But when it comes to the to on the um in the twenty two and, and near the touchline, the try line, I should say, I think it's more to do with just sheer physicality, um, or physics, even to the point, you know, you've got these. Especially in international rugby, you've got the best of the best that 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 uh, country can give you. 
Um, and the amount of weight and pressure that's going through the front rows. And if you start trying to, if you start going backwards, um, there's going to be a penalty before you actually get across the line to score your, 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 your score your scrum try. So get a pushover. So it's, it's, you know, there's the, someone's either going to hit the deck um, or someone's or they're, they're going to pop up and then immediately the the referee will either go to a penalty or they'll go to a, or they'll go to a, um, a penalty try. So it yeah. tends to it tends to happen that way rather than anything else. Yeah, yeah, right. I won't I won't talk anymore about scrummaging because we'll have lost anyone who's interested in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think uh, another topic that's kind of close to home for us as, as Edinburgh fans is is that of Blair Kinghorn. Um, and I think I think you you owed a lot of credit uh, as one of the guys in the Scottish Rugby podcast because you, as an Edinburgh fan, pointed out that Blair Kinghorn in the twenty two shirt is exactly where he needs to be for Scotland, and I think that's been proven in the first two games uh, this year. He, he quite he quite pleased with how he's how he's come on and made an impact in in both the games. Uh, absolutely over the moon, um, and today. Uh, I mean, I do a lot of driving for work, and um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And today, everyone is talking about when they're talking about Scotland, they talk about Finn Russell, they're talking about uh, Tua Pilotu, and they're talking about Blair Kinghorn. And uh, sorry, they're talking about Duhan as well. My apologies, <laughs> Duhan. Um, can't leave Duhan out. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's Blair. Is exactly just as we've talked about. Blair is exactly where he needs to be at this moment in time because he is, and 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 people are saying, you know, we think Blair King. You know, Jeffy was saying on the the BBC podcast, uh, Blair Kinghorn should be starting, and I I would love to see him start at fifteen. That'd be absolutely fantastic. I think he's got he's, he brings a huge amount to the fifteen jersey to the point now where now that he's played so much at ten for Edinburgh. He is a better distributor of the ball. He's 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 more confident. So when he goes to fifteen, he's happy to run. He's 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 a real um, asset at fifteen. But why would you start him uh, when you can bring on Hog? Because obviously Hog's got two two caps to go until he's got a hundred caps. So Tooney's not going to take that from him because you you're getting for the first thirty to forty minutes with Hog. Um, if he's okay, that is um, from his head knock at the weekend. You're getting a, you're getting what you, you expect from hockey, um, and where you have, where you couldn't bring Hog on and put him in if Tint, if if Finn gets injured, you couldn't bring him on and put well, you could put him on a wing, but you know with Kinghorn, you have the ability to put him into ten, into 15, fourteen, um, eleven or fifteen, and you're going to get a performance out of him, and and. So uh, and everyone talks about them, I mean, you know. If you if you look at any of the interviews when people are talking about Mike Blair was talking about how much of a an overall athlete he is. Pete Horn was saying exactly the same thing on one of the BBC podcasts. You know, he's an athlete. He can do virtually anything on the on, on the rugby field, um, apart from scrummage, obviously. But that's a different story. But um, so yeah, sorry. When you mention Blair Kinghorn, you start talking about Blair Kinghorn, it's almost like scrummaging to me. I have to talk about him a lot because I'm really, really a pleased for him um, because he's he's getting plaudits again, which he's a, he's a confidence player. He needs that, and second of all, he's getting a little bit of recognition because he's 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 been wonderful for Edinburgh. Um, 
you know, he's been absolutely no matter how what anybody says, he's been a wonderful player for Edinburgh and he deserves what he and he's been a wonderful player player for Scotland. He just people just seem to if they're going to pick on someone, they're going to pick on Blair Kingham, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think um I think he he wrongfully got a lot of stick for the, the Australia loss in the autumn, where I appreciate that um they missed the kick and you know, we would expect an international goal kicker to get that kick. I don't think anyone would argue with that. But equally, Jamie Ritchie, first time as captain, had a nice gimme in the first half that he didn't take, which would yeah. have meant we're up by a point anyway. So um, I, I, I'm pleased for him as well, I think. And I, I think he's he's in the right spot. I've been to and fro with the idea of whether you start him over Hogg against France or not. I guess that might be determinative of whether Hogg is fit or not to play against France. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite pleased for him. Um, now you you brought up Duhan there, um, and I wanted to ask you about this. So there's been Scotland scored a lot of nice tries in the in the tournament, um, and uh, Duhan's obviously responsible for two of the nicest tries I think Scotland ever scored. But weirdly, I kind of think that the Blair Kinghorn try is the best try for Scotland they've ever scored. Just for the, the when you break down the play, you've got the crossfield kick from Russell. Picked up by Duhan, nice little step inside, beats a man, but doesn't do what everyone says Duhan would do and try and run over people. Makes a lovely little inside pass to, to Kinghorn. I, I don't know if that was one of your favourite tries for Scotland, but certainly mine. And uh, I don't know if you think it's it's up there with the top tries of all time. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I think it's a good one. Um, it's a I think I'm trying to think which which game it was, but it was it was a game that George Horn scored, and I think it was a similar sort of Duhan, or either that or it was George Horn that went up the wing and passed to Duhan on the inside, um, and it, it it's a it's a very very nice try, uh, and it's it is one of the best tries that Scotland have scored for a long long time. I actually think I prefer the second try that Duhan scored against England rather than his his first one, and and. I'll, I'll be I'll be quick, but my thinking is um, I'm fed up of Scotland leaning on superstars to make a difference. We're losing here. We need someone to make to just grab the game by the scruff of the neck and go right. I'm going to do it myself and I'm going to score. Hoggy does it when we had all the problems with Hoggy. He that was what he was trying to do. He was overplaying because he's thinking we're losing this. I'm going to have to sort this out. Have it with Finn when Finn's tr- there's a lot of trouble on Finn's shoulders. He tries to do it all the time, and he and, and when when the team around him are not playing to his level, it seems to be the problem. And Duhan was the same. That's that try that Duhan scored was wonderful, absolutely wonderful, beautiful. But it also needed to have five England players miss tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the second try was a real Scotland team try. We had backs passing incredibly well. We had a kick through. We had um, uh, we had Richie Gray with the most beautiful hands I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, you've got... Uh, you also had um, Matt Fagerson giving the ball far too early to Duhan and giving them all the work to do to score the try. <laughs> um, so it was, it, you had it all in that try, and that was a proper... You know, it went from it went from one side of the it went from Kyle, uh, Kyle Stain 
across to Duhan for the other side, all through the hands of different players. He had some forward work, he had some back work, nice throws, some good passes. Fraser Brown. Fraser Brown, the penalty machine, giving a beautiful pass to Richie Gray. Come on, you know. So I, I was absolutely over the moon. So that one for me, I, a really long answer for a short for a short answer for you, but I really loved that. that. That for me is the best try, that we one of the best tries we've ever scored in the Six Nations. Yeah, I think what amazed me is when they... When Kyle Stein first made his break, you know, the, the break kind of into the England 22, I think as a Scotland fan, a long-suffering Scotland fan, my immediate thought was, how are we going to ruin this opportunity? <laughs> 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 I thought, he's going to get isolated. And to be fair, when you look back at George George Horn did really, really well to get round to, to make the, to clear the rock. Yeah. Um, it might have been slightly in from the side, but we, we can you know, we can ignore that. We'll ignore um, that one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you know that was that was immediately going through my head. But I think just the fact that they strung all those phases together is is a real testament to to the confidence they're playing with at the moment. Um, I've got a question for you though. If Darcy gets the ball, as Stain gets the ball, what happens? Because I. I think Darcy is both sides of the defending player and that play goes maybe an extra five metres and then he gets tackled. Does he get turned over because he's gone away from from, from support? Or or does that, that same try happen? There's a question. Well, that's, a, that's a very good question. I think, uh, let's be honest, Darcy just dances through them all and scores himself probably. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the easiest way to answer that. But I think... I think there's one or two things could happen there. If Darcy gets it and he, he doesn't get right through, I think you're right. He could have been isolated. I think the only thing was that George Horn had overran Stain. Yeah. I think he's with Darcy. He's not expecting the pass, so he probably is in a better position to clear wherever he is as well. Yeah, Because it's the same with there was an argument about the Duhan first try, um, Kyle Stain getting, getting the try assist from just lobbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but there was a, there was an argument with that that if Darcy's on the pitch, does that try get scored? Because does Darcy just try and have a go himself? Because that's his instinct. It's not he's greedy, but it's his instinct to to run the ball when he catches it in in the backfield and there's space in front of him. So yeah. um, I don't I don't know. I suppose it's the old uh, wings of a butterfly question. And true, uh, true, true. But um, the thing is, the thing is, what I will say. Sorry. I did, did, what I did see though, if you watch the, the the Wales game, um, you know how we all well, if if you if you listen to to, to um the Scottish rugby podcast, I'm always moaning about Hog not passing. In the first ten minutes before he went off injured, Hog was never in the back like but was never one of the back two players. He was always in the the, the, the defensive line. If you look at if you look, watch the game and look back, it's always Finn and Kyle Stain, or it's it's um, Finn and Duhan. It's in the back that, that are the, the last two, and they're playing a two two defensive backs and thirteen in the line, and and that's an interesting one again because again you're talking about who takes it on now. If Hoggy took that ball, does he go straight into contact or does he pass it? And that's the other question. You know, yeah. um, is have we found have we have we found that um, Tooney's going actually? We're going to change Hoggy. We're going to take Hoggy into the defensive line because he's a good defender, or we think he's a good defender, and we're going to stop him running up cul-de-sacs. 
And that's a real, I, I was really interested to see that because I would always expect Hoggy to be in the back. I mean, because he's a 15, you expect him, your fullback to be up near the post, you know? I think, I think you're, yeah, now that I kind of think back on the game, I can't, well, I mean, the Wales game, he wasn't on very long, but yeah. I can't even think in the England game of him getting the ball as much in the backfield as Finn Russell um, or Stain. I think, yeah. I think it's maybe a tactical thing where Tooney's went, He's, a, he's maybe slightly feels he's slightly better in the in the in the line, um, or 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 something of that nature. I mean, it's interesting because he does the other thing that Hoggy has that that he gets credit for, but I think is is possibly a better part of his game than it is a fullback, is he's got a hell of a hell of a boot on him as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In trouble, he can do really really good kicks and things like that. Um, I know it wasn't a fifty twenty two, but the first time. That we won the Calcutta Cup in England this century, and <laughs> Hoggy done, <laughs> done that eighty meter spiral that was yeah. incredible, which would have been a fifty twenty two because the laws changed after it. But you yeah. know he has he has got that boot in his locker, so it is maybe maybe something that Tooney's noticed about putting him up in the defensive line, or maybe it's to because we've got such good counter attackers in Duhan and, and Kyle, maybe the ideas uh, encourages them to kick to us. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a weird one because I, I, I'm, I'd love, I'm, I'm hoping to find someone who can ask the question because it's really interesting to me. Um, but also, you know, um, if you've been at a couple of games at, at Murrayfield, you know, a few games at Murrayfield, and if you, if you, when it goes to sort of a, uh, there's a lull in the in the in the shouting and, the, and all the noise from the crowd, you can really hear Hoggy shouting, hmm. and he's 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 really a controlling force in the back line, and so I don't know what's you know, in the defensive line as well, he's always, you know, he's always scanning, he's always talking about space, etc. So it's a really weird one. I was, I was just, it just struck me. I just saw it a lot. You know, he was, he was, and again, I think that's one of the reasons, well, I think he took a knee to the head actually, but, um, you know, he was always in the defensive line. He was never lingering at the back um, of the Wales game, you know? And I guess maybe with Harris out, maybe they need that, that vocal voice marshalling them rather than, rather than having Hoggy in the backfield and, and then expecting maybe Jones isn't quite as equipped to do that. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I guess it's all it, we we can only speculate. But um, it wasn't something I'd really thought about until until you brought it up, though. So that's uh, a good 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 point to make. Um. Yeah. So where do you think? Well, there's a, here's another question. Where, where do you think we go from here? And do you think with the likes of possibly uh, Darcy Graham coming fit again? Um, that he comes straight back into the squad. I guess that's a double party question, but how do you think we can top all the French, basically? Um, uh, if we play like we played in the second half against Wales, I think we've got a good chance of of, of rattling the French. Um, and I think we've got... We've always been the, the thorn in the French side. Um, where it's always been... France have always been on for a Grand Slam or a Championship and then they've come to Scotland and lost. Um and then we, we we broke the ducks, you know, we broke the hoodoo of going to Paris and uh, uh and winning down there last year as well. So uh, no not last year, the year before. Oh hang on, was it? It was the year before, yeah. It was the year before, I <laughs> right, sorry. Yeah. Um yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so it's for me, I I actually have got nothing to fear with the French. The the, the team I'm fearing at the moment is 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 Ireland. Um and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about them, but uh um, I think France, um, if we continue to 
to play the way we're playing. Um, I think we've got a, an ability to. I think our defensive defensively, um, we're doing a very good job, and we're also opening up teams a little bit more now than we used to. Um, we're not using the heavy runners. We're not going and saying right. Well, you know, we're going to play. We we do it all, we used to do it all the time. We're going to, especially when it was when Cockrell was in charge of Edinburgh. We're going to go and try and play the heavy game and start smashing into people. But well, France, you're you're not going to win the smashing into people game with France because they have absolute monsters playing for them. Um, you're only going to match them. You're never going to get get past them. So for me, um, it's a it's a you know. Quick, quick, quicker up speed as we've been as we've been playing, using this um, Finn Russell, Tuipolo, to Hugh Jones sort of triangle that's been that uh, John Barkley's been talking a lot about on on, on TV etc. and 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 using that to our game like our, our game. I think they'll they'll heavily mark Duhan because he's made his difference. So that's why we need to use more of our centres and uh, and and bring someone off the wing. So. You might bring in if Darcy ever, you know, if Darcy was available. You might bring him in, but at this moment in time, I don't see him getting a chance because I think first of all, he's he's just coming back from, you know, if he's if he's fit tomorrow, he's not had a lot of game time, um, and uh, second of all, you know, Stain is doing a very very good job, a very different job, but he's doing a very good job where he is at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tough one because how good Darcy was before he got injured, uh, and I was right in line with that. The damn health when they got the guy hit him and I think it was I can't remember which Welsh player it was but he landed on him and yeah yeah was, you could tell then it was just that moment we like oh we've lost Darcy for a while um, yeah. but yeah I, I think I think it would be a bit harsh on Steen first and foremost but I also think it's a bit of a risk to bring someone that's not played in maybe three three and a half months in it to play a French side when you've got wingers that even if um, we talk about I talk about ceilings a lot because it's an American thing, and I watch a lot of American sports. Um, but even if <laughs> say Darcy ceilings a lot higher than than Kyle Steen's, Kyle Steen's floor at the moment is is quite high. And even if he's not having his best game, he's he's doing a really good job defensively for Scotland. So I think it would be very harsh on Kyle Steen to to leave him out. Um, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the French and the, the the big boys. Do you think Ireland have kind of found it, sort of Showing the way to beat the French, which is keeping the ball and playing, tying them out. Yeah, I think um, you know how do you? Well, it's it's an odd one because obviously, uh, if I was if, if I was coaching a team that was going up against the French, you're worrying about a Sean Edwards defence. So, you know, you, you you think well, actually, we're going to I'm going to give them the ball to play and, and try and make them make a mistake because I don't really want, I'd rather defend against them, attack against them because the defence is very, very good. But actually what Ireland have done is go, actually, no, no, how good is Sean Edwards' defence? And they've just gone at him and they've got, they've got certain loose, what, in, their, in Ireland's defence, they, they are, um, they slow the ruck speed down. Um, they're always, and you know they they slow the ball down quite dramatically um, when they're defending, but they, then they speed it up with tip-ons, and you know you never you know changing changing direction into the into the um, into contact the forwards. You're always seeing the forwards either taking a side step or passing the ball on to another forward to try and 
take away from that running into us, running straight into or in between two pe- two people, you know. So they're changing the contact area. So it, it, they're always trying to burst through, which then makes the defence tighten up because they're, 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 they're trying to stop you bursting through and then they're shipping the ball and using the ball out to the, you know, outside. No matter how much I hate him, Johnny Sexton's very, very good at at, at, at seeing that and, and, and dealing with that. Um, and now with Ross Byrne, actually, I think he's, he's again, another um, Leinster um, Borg member who comes out and just fits straight in. Um, and and he's, he's actually you're now not seeing so much of a drop off between the between him and Sexton, so they can just drop him in whenever Johnny's fed up at holding on to his head, pretending he's been smashed in the head again, um, to get a penalty, and then away they go. So it, it's a real, it's a difficult one. Um, I, I think Ireland are just at this moment in time because they have so many players playing for Leinster, playing now for Ireland. It, it's like the whole. To a Pilotu and Hugh Jones effect, you've got these players playing together so much now that and they're on form, they're going to play well. And uh, and I think Ireland, excuse me, Ireland have sorted that out, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, you talked about how you're, you're more worried about Ireland than France. I think we all share that notion. Um, the only thing that would be good. Uh, about playing them as we'll be at home, so we should get the angle at the back when James Lowe's foot's on the uh, out in touch. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I was sort of thinking there in my head, just as you, as you we were talking about, you know, thinking about Ireland, and I think right now, if the British and Irish Lions were to pick a starting 15, I think Ireland would have about 10 players in it at the very least. We'd maybe have Doohan, Finn, and, and Jamie Ritchie, perhaps, and maybe George Turner. I think Ireland would have the bulk of the squad um, with, you know, Keenan, Lowe, their centre their center combo's pretty decent, you know. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of just guessing at numbers, but how do you think we can beat Ireland? What do you think is the way that Scotland can can use their their strengths to, to, to beat Ireland? Um, that's a really difficult one. Um because I've already got myself in a position of saying that we're not going to. Um, and, and I'm sorry, I'm a glass half full person on that one. Um, or sorry, glass half empty, I should say. Um, it's for me, um, I would say let's play them fire for fire. So let's, you know, I'm not looking to, 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 to match them. Uh, when it comes to forwards, etc., but let's play our own game. Um, let's get the ball through the centres. Let's move the ball wide on a regular basis. Let's, you know, um, where we're very comfortable at the moment in time, which I love, is the fact that we don't, you know, we can give someone the ball and say, "Go on, then on you go," and we'll we'll absorb it. We'll, we'll absorb them in the defence. And what we're looking for is that turnover ball and counter attack. Um, and I think if we can keep that. Because as I say, they can have 60-70% of the possession and they can have 60-70% of the territory with people like Tupolotto, Hughes Jones, Blair Kinghorn, uh, Stain, Duhan, and obviously Finn. We we can play from anywhere. Um and so and we're and we're looking to do that. So I think I think if we can match them in the forwards as much as we can, 
provide good, you know, good set piece that then provides the back with the backs with good ball and they start spreading it wide like they have been doing lately. Um, I think we've got a we've got an an opportunity. Um, where we where we tend to worry, or, or I well, I worry, and we tend to as a as a as a nation, our issue is when we're under the pump, we start giving away penalties. When we start giving away penalties, they march us. We could be in their twenty-two, give away a penalty, and all of a sudden we're in our twenty-two because we've given one penalty away, then another penalty at the line out, so it's another penalty and it's kicked down. Then we've given another penalty for a mall a mall infraction, um, and then all of a sudden they're, they're in a five meter. So, and the last thing I would want to do, or we should be doing, is trying to um, try to mall Ireland off the park because I'm I, I'm not entirely sure we will. You know, so um, you know, counter attack is going to be our our uh, our tool of choice. I think. Yeah, yeah, and that, that actually brings me to a point that was raised on 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 Twitter by a few people was Crosby might be hurt. We don't know, um, and Crosby's obviously. I think Crosby's turned into a bit of a six and a half because he 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 is a loose head. He is a um, loose head. He's not a loose head at all. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's an open side, um, but. He he's sort of now carrying with a bit more bulk and grit, and I suppose because you've got Richie, the two of them kind of combine to create this sort of two hybrid players almost. But if he's hurt, there was talk that we should bring Dempsey in, and I think that's kind of the wrong choice with with Scotland. I think the way they've been playing is by trying to move move the big packs around and not enter into an arm wrestle with them, which is what people are saying. Bring Dempsey in for more grit. But I think that's the wrong way to view the way we've been playing, and we should we should continue to try and play an expansive game, not stupid, but expansive, and tire the packs out, and then bring Dempsey on when they're a bit they're a bit slower, and and he can run at soft shoulders because when he came on against England, he was unreal, and I know that you you call him the aging Australian, but he has <laughs> I think he's been, he's been pretty good in that role as a sub. I mean, I, I don't know what would you if if Crosby's injured. Um, because if he's not, I would keep him in because his work rate's been really good, even if it's all been kind of the unseen stuff. Um, yeah. who, who would you bring in? Would you bring Mish back in maybe or, or another another open side? Um, I th- I, I th- the way it looks, the way the squad looks, I think Dempsey, if, if he is injured, Dempsey will come in. Um, I think that seems to be... What town, you know, what Townsend has been doing. Um, Mish has not been firing on all cylinders for some time now, and I worry about him. Um, obviously, he took that big, that extended break with um, build up of head, head knocks, etc. Um, and I, I, I just don't know. He's got young family, etc. I don't know if he's right. Ever since he came back from the Lions, I don't think he's been been ready and and willing to to put himself uh, on the line again, um, as much as uh, as he has done. So I'm not entirely sure. Um, for me, Dempsey, I, I think you, you're bang on with Dempsey. Dempsey does a good job at certain things, but again, when when everyone's been talking about um, over the last two games. Um, Scotland's accuracy, Scotland's handling accuracy, Scotland's accuracy in the breakdown, etc. Who's the person that's been giving away penalties and knocking the ball on and miss, but you know, throwing 
bad passes, etc. It's been Dempsey. So you're right. Give him a ball and let him shove up the jumper. He's in, he's very very good. He can burst through through tackles. He can he can drive through. Put him into a twenty into the twenty two. He'll do a very very good job. But I don't think we are at that point just now. I think um, I think we need people like uh, that that seem to be dare I say it smarter rugby players uh, in Luke Crosby. Um, uh, you know Jamie Ritchie. And then you also have to look at the look at it, like I don't care. I really a lot of I've been I've accused him of it. Grant Gilchrist, I've accused Grant Gilchrist of not having so much as much go go forward as Sam Skinner. But then you see him playing against Saracens, um, both home and away, and he was absolutely ferocious. So you know, Edinburgh are producing very very good go forward ball players but they've got a brain on them as well and and so if you are going to bring you know I would love to see Mish back in and have another have a Richie a Richie Mish and a Fagerson back row. I don't think they'll do it. I think I think you will find that Dempsey will come in and Fagerson will go um onto the onto the flank. But who do they bring in behind? Do they put Mish on the bench? But uh I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm giving you a don't know answer there unfortunately but you compliment Gilchrist um I do have to bring up Possibly the worst spin pass I've ever seen in my entire life <laughs> in the Wales game um, in the first half. Uh, he's actually, to be honest, Gilchrist at times, you, you know, people talk about penalty merchants and Gilchrist for Edinburgh a few times has annoyed me because he, he gets those sort of grabbing in the air penalties. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe maybe it's overemphasised because it always seems to be at the worst possible blinking time that he does it. Um, but... He's been excellent in the first two games for Scotland, apart from that pass that was that was awful. <laughs> I don't think I can describe it as anything. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. But then you know, uh, no doubt someone will find a way of blaming blame Blair Kinghorn for that at some point. <laughs> um, and then just just um, the last, I suppose, area that I think is worth noting for Scotland is the fact that Townsend's made the call to to drop British and Irish Lions. Ali Price. Um, now, I think Ali Price is a, a good player. I do think that part of the reason he was in the Lions is because it was sort of failure to launch for a bunch of other scrum halves, to be honest with you. But do you think that... Obviously, that's proven to be the right call. Um, are, you, are you impressed at Townsend for actually pulling the trigger on, on Price? Because I think Price has been under firing for a long time for Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, I... I, I, I... Um, ever since Ali Price re-signed with Glasgow um, and we expected George Horn well George Horn re-signed and he was re-signing because well this is only conjecture but if I was George Horn I'd be re-signing with Glasgow because you think Ali Price is going to go and chase French money now because he's he's a British and Irish lion and then he re-signed for Glasgow and ever since he re-signed for Glasgow, he, he's dropped off, and he's become this um, this scrum half. He's almost he's gone more Greg Laidlaw than um, than George Horn, if you know what I mean. Um, he used to be the George Horn of Glasgow. He was the one that came on. Henry Pargos would control things at Glasgow, and then Ali Price would be the one that had quick quick rock speed and would be throwing the ball around and chasing around and putting putting really good support lines in, taking the ball, quick offload passes and scoring tries. And all of that's been knocked out of him. And he's whether it's it's Gatland and, and Tooney 
have knocked the corners off him when he went on the on the Lions tour because he was always box kicking and he was always playing this sort of kicking game. But ever since then, he's he's just not. He's been more reserved. It's almost like the corners have been knocked off him. And as if if you if you listen to the pod, I'm always shouting for George Horn because not only because he's a How of Fife man and uh, and uh, uh, I'm on the How, um, but uh, he. He is. He's he's been needing game time, and look at, you know, um, Franco Smith has brought him in, given him the game time, and look what's what how it's working, um, and all of a sudden now he's got the opportunity to play, and he's getting game time as well because Tooney used to always, he may have George Horn on the bench, but you sometimes you wouldn't even put him on the field, within the game he wouldn't even get a cap, um, and that uh, for me was was always difficult. Um, but no, he's really proved himself. So I think he's. I think Tooney, just to answer your question, yeah, Tooney's done the right thing. I think Ben White has been absolutely um, spot on. He's been a fantastic choice. He's done a very, very good job. In fact, I think Ben White is probably Ali Price five years ago. Um, and uh, and George Horn is there to finish it out. And you, you could swap them around. You could put George Horn, give George Horn a start, and then uh, bring uh, Ben White in to control things. After George has gone crazy and and throwing the ball around here, there, and everywhere, so it, it's you know it's an interesting one. I'm and I'm speaking from a, a forwards perspective. I, I might be completely wrong um, because I'm uh, I uh, you know um, I'm not a backs coach, but uh... <laughs> so that's that's fair enough. I actually think the one thing I I thought the difference that showed the difference between Ben White starting over Price was the try that Ben White scored. I don't think Ali Price scores that now. I think. You're right, five years ago, Ali Price would have went, oh, there's a gap and went for it. But I don't think he would have now. I think he'd have tried to pass that. Yeah. I think yeah. that's it's sad because he used to be this kind of, he wasn't quite as George Horn as George Horn at times, but he was sort of, you know, he was willing to have a go and snipe. And I think our attacks become more unpredictable because Ben White does seem willing to have a go now and again. And seems quite strong because I remember him. He put a pretty good dump tackle in when we were playing Fiji yeah. uh, in the summer, um, which was the the last point I wanted to get to um, about sort of underrated skill set. And I, I don't know if it's something you've noticed, but in the two games that obviously they've played in the Six Nations, I think Finn Russell's not only shown how good an attacker he is, but even when he wasn't great against England, he was good. Obviously, and he done okay. I think he's shown how good a defend defender he is because he absolutely, I can't remember which forward it was for England, but he absolutely smashed him um, when we just after we got the try and then against France he put uh, George North backwards a couple of times, let alone just making tackles on him, so um, is that something you've noticed or is it just is it maybe just me because I'm so happy with how well everything's went <laughs> 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 it's, 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 uh, well, Finn Russell's always been a pretty good tackler, a pretty good defensive player, but I think if you, you know, um, those, you know, if you watch him, I've watched a few games for watched a few of the racing games as well. Just as you say, he's he's not feared, and he and he's happy to get, you know, okay, he's guiding things most of the time, but he's definitely not a your man ten. He's not someone who'll just step aside and let somebody else hit him. He'll. He'll take he'll take a, a he'll, you know he'll take a tackle right to the edge and um I I've been quite you know he he has proven quite I guess I don't know is it is it because he's playing in the top fourteen and and they're 
some of the forwards over there are complete monsters and and you kind of have to tackle them. I don't know. But I think I think Rassing, no matter what is Rassing has brought, Finn Russell has probably compressed, you know, the or, or cut down the the raw diamond into the absolute beauty that he's become because of um because of the way they've, you know, a mixture of coaching and a mixture of how much he plays. Um and also the fact that because he's got that financial security, he can he can throw him a pass that goes into touch and he can just shrug his shoulders and go, hi, okay, let's what's next? Um because I don't think he's that um worried about his career. So he can he so he can push on and, and develop. You know, he's 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 I know we're going on here, but I'm going on here, but he's 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 come up against Tooney and he's won. Mm-hmm. I think that's you know? that's that's the long and the short of it. Um I, I think the thing that perhaps we didn't all admire at first about Finn, um, and actually George Horn now that I, um because George Horn earned me a lot of banter points on, on the 80th minute when he took that tap and go and got a, a yellow card from Reese <laughs> uh, Webb getting a yellow card after an injury thing. That that cracked me up. Um I was actually hoping it was Liam Williams that so would end up being a red card, but it turned out yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that really strikes me about those two is they don't want to be anywhere else in the world. I think they just want to play rugby all the time. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's it, you can see it in the way that Finn plays and the way that he does his, you know, his funny, I don't know why I'm doing this as an audio show, but, you know, the, the funny sort of the poses and the, and the thing. He's just been let to do that now. No one's bothering. Everyone's just letting Finn be Finn. And and George Horn's kind of the same. He's not, he's not doing funny poses, but he just looks like he's, really happy when he's playing and I think that kind of that infection is probably the one thing that that'll make the rugby team stick together I guess and and maybe get through the if they do have a bad game against Ireland get through that and hopefully get you know that'll be a fourth win against Italy if they've, if it's not a grand slam weekend so yeah. yeah you're you're bang on I think I think if you if you look back at um uh especially when it was Eddie Jones's England um, and you looked at all the all the sort of the YouTube clips and the TikTok clips of them having fun. This is us having fun. Look, we are having fun because we are England. But actually, if you look at the TikTok clips of Scotland, they're not coming out going, "Look how crazy we are." They're just going, "Look, we're scaring the bejesus out of the biggest bo- the biggest boy in the bitch," you know. And, and and you know, I'm just waiting on actually do hand ripping Hoggy's head off at some point because he's getting close. <laughs> But um, but yeah. So I I think they're actually just as you say. I think they've they've and Hoggy not being captain. I think he's actually you might see him kick on a little bit because they're actually enjoying themselves. I, um, I think the shackles are off for Hoggy. He looked happier right. playing as well. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm being honest. I never thought Hoggy was a good idea for captain. Um, because as you say, when he was when he was he tries to do everything himself because he doesn't have the confidence in people, and it compounded when he was captain because it was almost like, well, I'm expected to do this myself because I'm the captain. Yeah, um, I never thought it was a great idea. I've been banging the drum for Jamie Ritchie since basically he was about 22, I think. So yeah. I finally got there in the, in the end. <laughs> um, right. Well, we've talked for quite a bit. Um, just before before we let it go, there's a couple of sort of uh, more more open questions I want to ask you. Just um, wait, just uh, I know that you're a how a Fife man, and I think if I'm correct, you 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 uh, are a how how Harlequins coach is that right? 
I, I was um, up until about a year and a half, um, a year and a half ago. Um, I, my, my wife and I um, started the How Harlequins uh, within the team and uh, within the club, the club, and uh, took uh, had well worked with them for about just up, coming up eight years. Um, but uh, uh, just uh, it's a long story. But my son's and uh, my son, I was also coach helping coach my son's team. So every Saturday and every Sunday was taken up during the season. So it, it, you burn out quite quickly. So it was time to let someone else, um, younger and probably more knowledgeable, take the how Harlequins to a different level. So uh, I kind of stepped aside and uh, and and uh, let them let them go. <laughs> so I I just wanted to ask. Um, I do appreciate there were two two blokes talking about women's rugby, but um, so we're not maybe the most knowledgeable, but just um, how have you found the sort of enthusiasm and, and the, the level of play in Scotland for, for people coming in um, to women's rugby? Because it is quite a new thing. Um, I, I was amazed it was only 30 years since Scotland first played. So is it is is the enthusiasm there? Is it something that if the SRU actually invest in, that it will grow to to good good heights? Yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 Scott, women's rugby as a whole in the UK, probably around the world, but I can only I can only talk about the UK and especially Scotland. Um, it, women's rugby has had to fight for thirty years to be heard and given the platform that it needs. The I think the turnaround for women's rugby, you know, I, I was, uh, um. We we had I was lucky to be in you know to 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 be involved with starting a women's team and seeing it grow, and at that time it was we had a national development league, league two, a national league two, national league one, and then the prem. And the prem was always you 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 had six or seven six teams I think at that time um, who were who were all either Edinburgh based or or a couple of Glasgow teams and and and. Everyone was basically told if you want high level rugby, you have to go there, and, and so we just built and slowly built and slowly built and slowly built, and we, we you form alliances with other teams to because they only have eight and you've only got seven, and you want to try and put a team together. But the camaraderie that has been built because women's rugby has to forces are onward, but they have to fight for everything within the rug within rugby because of. Uh, casual and fairly directed misogyny um, and 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 homophobia and all these different things that come along with women's rugby, um, and they're looked down upon because it's not real rugby because men's rugby is the is the, is, is the is the be all and end all. So the camaraderie has built so much in these teams, and you're looking at you know I've I've been very lucky to be involved with. Um, in a very very small way, um, with the careers of um, a few players who have moved on to play um, international or or high level rugby, um, and these women are athletes through and through, up at five o'clock in the morning to go and go to the gym, then go to work or go and study, then come back to practice. They are doing a huge, huge job. To become professional, you know, to become athletes who play for Scotland or play at high level rugby, so the, just you know, it's a it's a hugely exciting thing to be involved in, um, and if we, you know, it's a growing sport. They bring in TikTok sponsored um, the the Six Nations last year and the year before, or was it just last year, which opened out and everybody got to see 
all these female players having an absolute blast and they could they can talk immediately to their young audience because they're, they're on TikTok, etc. So you're seeing young women being uh, being told that no matter who you are, no matter what shape, size, you can be whoever you want to be and you can, you've got a place with us here in, in, in rugby. And, and I think that's a hugely positive method, uh, message. And uh, I think it I think it can only move forward. Also, in the last point, um, if you uh, ever get a chance to watch a women's rugby game, go do it because they have regulations in some of their games that you know they can't scrummage too many. You know they can't have the, all these big scrums that that go to ground and have to reset and reset and reset. It's one or two scrums and it's a free kick and you have to move. They you know, they they develop that quick. Um, that quick play, and you'll actually see um, it, it's a, it's almost a more modern game, um, and it's it's really an exciting thing to be involved in. So if anybody is ever thinking about, uh, uh, you know, usually they're played on Sundays. If anyone's got a free bit free bit of time on Sunday, find out your local club, and if there's a women's game playing, go down to your local club, put some money across the bar for a beer, and go and watch some women's rugby because it is absolutely fantastic. I was actually just about to ask you when people could go and watch it, so you you saved me you saved me a hassle. Uh, <laughs> I actually I coach a I coach an ice hockey or women's ice hockey team, so I'm always curious to learn how the females go the female game is going in other sports. And I, I know you guys are, you guys are the best at talking about it um, for rugby, as far as I can see. I don't really hear any other podcast talking much about rugby, um, but. Oh, um, if you if you if you're not sure and you don't want to go out in the cold, the other thing is go and watch um go and find a YouTube clip of the last World Cup final because if oh, yeah. you can get yes. well, um, it was that was unbelievable final. Um, and also showed how red cards don't ruin games. Yeah, as well, because uh, it was a cracking final despite the red card. Um, really enjoyable from start to finish. One of the best best games of rugby I've seen. Men's or women's, uh, it was it was cracking. So, um, yeah, I just thought I would ask you about that and just see if uh, if you know how how you how you were getting on with things and and how and stuff. And it's interesting you you had to start it there and kind of merge with all these different teams to begin with. Um, and uh, if only if uh, if certain other teams hadn't decided that women's were additional needs, we wouldn't would have one one more team still going. So well, you know, it's it's a really the bottom line, and if you want to, you know, the bot the bottom line, especially if we're talking about um, the problems that, that that have happened with Liberton, um, the issue you have is that the same people that are thinking that women's oh we're having to put resources to to to, to fund women's rugby. Well, no, actually, the SRU give you money. If you have a women's rugby team, and not only that, but they also, um, you've got the opportunity to open your rugby club up on a Sunday and have people come in and buy a pie and buy a beer. Um, oh, would you like to become a member of the club? Because you, you know it's cheaper booze here than 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 down in the middle of Edinburgh or wherever. Yeah, I think I'll become a member, and all of a sudden you've got you're upping your membership. And you've got more money coming into the club that can you then put up your new lights or you can put up, you know, you've got opportunities with new sponsors. It's it's a closed mentality, closed mind mentality. You know whether you I don't I don't know if you've had the same sort of issues with with ice hockey, but 
with rugby was very much a men's game, and 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 actually they've they still are closing themselves off far too much to women's rugby, um, and uh, you can tell I'm a little bit passionate. I'll have to shut up now, but uh, it's um, they they really are. Uh, it's really a, it's a, any type of women's sport. If you go and watch a, a team, women women athletes in singular singular um, sports are fantastic. But if you watch a women's team play. No matter what, I even watch women's football, and 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 I'm not a big football fan, but it's because the team works so because they have to deal with all of these different things. They they bond so much more, and they're they're incredibly strong. And I uh, yeah, it's a it's a joy to watch. Great, great stuff. Well, and that's you can go and presumably look up the how Harlequins if you're in the Fife area, and uh, go and catch them. Uh, most Sundays, I would imagine, but maybe be away and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, we're at the point they're in the they're in the cup at the moment, um, in the Cali the Cali Cup and Bowl, etc. Um, they're everyone seems to be going through that at the moment now. Um, the leagues the, the the league with um women's rugby goes from uh early August to December, and then you've got the Cali Cup games in the in the uh in the new year. So uh, that's what they're doing just now. But yeah, if uh, I'll tell you what, if you ever think about you know, if you if you a woman want to play women's rugby, or you just want to go and watch women's rugby, if you look up your local, find out what your local club is and look them up, you'll probably find that the women's social media side of things is far better than the men's social media part of things, and you'll know exactly what they're doing, exactly where they're playing, um, and uh, and and uh, you'll be able to find them somewhere. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, and just one last thing, actually, on the point of women's rugby. I know I said we wouldn't talk too long, but this this came up. It's been kind of naturally flown. So. Um, in terms of the uh, women's, I've always wondered if this would be a, a good idea because I know they do it with with rugby league. Um, do you think it would be a good idea if they held the World Cups together for men's and women's um, and made it a big World Cup festival, that that might draw more attention to the women's game? Or do you think it would become where the women's game is almost like the midweek Lions games, which we don't want, but... I sometimes wonder if it was together and then everybody saves their money to go to the World Cup, they might go to, because they ordinarily maybe wouldn't go to, like, say, a women's game that's within the week in the same area if they're going away for a wee trip or anything like that. It's a really difficult one because um, if you speak to a lot of the women's team, a lot of the members of the women's teams, they, they don't want to play at the similar or same time as the men's, as the men's team because they... They don't. They they want to be. Um, you know, they want people to come and watch them because they're coming to watch them. They're not coming to watch them because they're here to go watch the men's team and and they've turned up early or they're or they're, or they're staying on for a few more pints. Um, and so, from what I can tell, having the Six Nations, the women's Six Nations, on a totally different date, um, you know, set of dates works incredibly well. For a mixture of TV, um, for a mixture of sponsors, for a mixture of um, of 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 viewing, being able to view the games, the the, the what do they call it? The um, uh, you're able to see it. It's, 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 the visibility of the game is far better. And just as you say, you know, it's not it's not being hidden by the men's game. They're not on early because the men's team are playing at three. They've got to be on at one. But on the other side of things, just as you say, you know, I think. Um, I think it was the Harlequins. I think Harlequins had a a big weekend, and um, and they had and they were playing Gloucester, and I think the the women were playing Gloucester as well, and it was they 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 had it as a big party, 
And so all the all the Harlequins fans came down and they got basically almost four hours worth of rugby. So it, there's positives from both sides. I don't know the answer. Um, I think right right now at the moment, I think the Six Nations needs to be out with the men's Six Nations. Um, it needs all the visibility it can get, um, and then uh, and then we go from there. Um, I just want a um, a version of the the Super Six, like you know, um, for uh, Scotland women and, and Scotland if we can, and and uh, get a little bit more professionalism and a little bit more money into the women's game, and that would that would hopefully bolster the women's game in Scotland, but. I think um I think just yeah I think I think I would probably keep it separate if I was pushed. Yeah, f- fair fair enough. I, 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 it's always been something that I've kind of weighed up because you know you want to boost the women's game, but equally I can see why the men's game would overshadow it. And that's not like a criticism of the women's game, but traditionally everyone wants to go all the men's games, you know that sort of thing. So yeah, I can see I can see why it would maybe overshadow. Just a, a final point since we maybe wrap up. Um, do you do you ever think we'll see the real Flinty again? Um, and, uh, <laughs> and is there anyone you want to give a big shout out to? Presumably one of them being Cami, who's the the biggest person in, in, involved in this Flinty conspiracy. Absolutely, uh, he's not hashtag not my real Flinty. Um, we we always are harking back to um, Flinty with his wraparound shades. And he's uh he's Edinburgh red and black chainmail top on. Um and uh we don't know where he's gone. We just don't know. So I don't think we'll ever get to see the real film. Fr- he'll turn up one day. Like um I think Cami Cami likes referring back to 80s programmes. You'll probably find us waking up in the shower and find coming through into the bedroom and finding the real Flinty in the bedroom like Dallas. Um and uh it was all a dream. Um but uh, don't get me wrong, the the new Flinty's all right, but Cami Cammy Black of the Scottish Rugby Podcast is convinced that um, he's a he's a stooge and he's been in there to uh, to disrupt Edinburgh and uh, and we want the real Flinty back. So uh, um, yeah, uh, Cammy and the boys, uh, the Scottish Rugby Podcast, they, uh, we we all have a bit of fun and a bit of laugh. But uh, yeah, when it, when it comes to mascots, we we'll get very serious. <laughs> my my only my only last shout out is um, um, if anyone's going to any of the games. Over the next, uh, any of the, especially the uh, Italy game or the um, uh, or the the Ireland game, just keep an eye out for the eighth minute ovation for uh, Siobhan Catigan. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, a hugely important thing for us to still continue to be doing. And uh, and if uh, if you if you wonder why people are standing and clapping at, on the eighth minute, um, look up Siobhan Catigan. Um, and make sure you get on your feet and you clap your hands for um, uh, for a minute at the eighth minute um, at Murrayfield, please. Yeah, uh, and I, I I totally agree with that. Um, it was a bit more subdued this this week, unfortunately. Um, I don't know if that was that was partly because Finn was lining up a kick, I think, at the time as well, which didn't yeah. help matters. Um, but yeah, do get on your feet and, and clap for Siobhan Catigan and um, you know and and. One, pay respect to the family, but two, hopefully make some noise so the SRU know that we're not going to forget um, their poor behaviour. Just because we enjoy the rugby doesn't mean that they, they can get away with what they like. And it's one thing I have to say, and I've, I've said it I've said it on Twitter as well, that I do like the fact that the Scottish Rugby Podcasts wants to hold the SRU to a high account. And I think that's uh, it's only fair that we want that out of a place that we, we all spend hundreds of pounds on every year. Um, so yeah. I love yeah, we- you guys for that. 
No, I appreciate that. Um, uh, you know, it's very much uh, Cami and well, Alan McDonald especially. Um, I think Ian Wallace as well. Um, they're all working. They all work hard to try and keep um, keep Siobhan in our, in our thoughts, along with the family and and all of our fellow players. And uh, and I think they they all deserve a shout out. I think the big. The, I would far rather that the eighth minute of variation. Um, currently, which I feel is a bit of a protest, um, I would like it to turn over and change into a into a um, uh, a celebration of Siobhan. Um But uh, the SRU, we try to keep. We've been accused of uh, becoming SRU haters. We're not SRU haters. We we love the SRU. We love Scottish rugby. Um, we love everyone that's involved in Scottish rugby. We just don't feel that we should be keeping quiet when when the SRU are doing things that we don't think are right. Um, and I think that's, uh, and, and we're allowed to do that, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I t- 100% agree. On on that note, guys, um, thank you for listening. And thanks to, to Craig for spending so much time here. You'd normally be in the Patreon by now. You'd be able to swear you till your heart's content. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I didn't realise, sorry, I didn't realise how long we've talked. <laughs> I, I know, all, but all after, talk. Uh, after saying we'd be half an hour at the start. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Um uh, just one last shout out before we go. Uh, please remember the David Hill Memorial is coming up uh, on the 11th of March um, and try and get yourself along to that. And um, There'll be more details in the link uh, in the link of the podcast. Thank you very much.